0: Last week, we, we wrapped up our sermon series in the book of Micah. So we had spent um, six weeks looking at Micah's three messages to God's people. And, and as I was doing, doing just my initial planning for that sermon series, my desire was to begin that series right after Easter and, and finish it today. So that, that would have been uh, a seven-week Sermon series, but as I was outlining things, as I was seeking God's leading in that for where this series would go, I just kept landing on six sermons. All right, now now I I told God seven would work better in the calendar, and I told him seven's a more holy number anyway. So, but um, but the more I looked and looked, it, it just seemed like. God was saying those six, th- th- that's, that's, those are the ones. So, I finally submitted myself to his leading and, and just began to think about what that would mean for today. So I knew that today was already going to be difficult. Um, uh, this is Memorial Weekend, which marks one year ago, tomorrow, that our family suffered a great tragedy And so as as I was reflecting on that, I I sensed God saying, that's what I want you to talk about. That's why you're only finding six sermons. And so in addition to that, then I was uh, was talking with Jacob, and and he said that he was sensing God leading him to share with our church body uh, as well about how God has been working in his life over the past year. But he was concerned that that would be, if he did that during one of the, the personal mission moment times that we have, that, that it'd probably be too long for that, and that, that just wouldn't be the, the right setting for it. So, so all that to say, that, that's, that's how we've got to where we are this morning. Both, both I and Jacob have, have sensed God leading us to share with you what God has, has how he's brought us through this past year, the experiences that, that we've had in that. And, and so we both we both expect it to be difficult i think i was sensing just how difficult even sitting in my office this morning listening to the worship team practice nothing more than that but being the songs that we sung last year you know just instantly back to that but we trust that God'll work through this that he'll 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 be doing doing his accomplishing his purposes this morning so so I, I, know, I know most of you are aware, but, but if you're not, last, last Memorial Day at, at an extended family gathering, my two-and-a-half-year-old nephew drowned in the swimming pool. And in preparation for sharing this morning, one of the, one of the things I did is went back and re-listened to uh, the sermon that I gave at Christian's funeral. And that's a strange thing. It's a strange thing listening to your own voice, seek to give comfort and, and speak truth in, in such a difficult time like that. Uh, but as I was doing that, the, 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 the psalm that I preached from that day was Psalm 13. So, uh, so in, in addition to listening to the message, I was reflecting on Psalm 13 as well. Um, and and as I was doing that, my my eyes fell on Psalm 16, which is it's on the same page in in my Bible. And Psalm 16 is uh, it's a Psalm of David that contains powerful themes of of hope and and faith and trust, and it's a Psalm that that. As I was reading over, it just seemed so fitting and giving structure to what Jacob and I will were, um, were, we'll share this morning. So, so I'd encourage you to, to open in your Bible with me to Psalm 16. Um, it, it's on page 453 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow there. And I'll just start by, by reading the first four verses for us. <clears throat> Again, this is a Psalm of David. And he says, preserve me, O God, what I want to draw attention to and uh, is, is david 's statement in verse two that he has, he has no good apart from god god 's goodness is it 's a foundational theme throughout the bible and, and it 's a reality that I think we joyfully attest when when things in our lives are going well right when the, when when the sun is is shining when When relationships are strong, when our bodies are are, are not not in pain, right? We're 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 probably quick to proclaim the goodness of God in those in those situations. But in Psalm 16, it begins by David calling out to God for preservation, for refuge. He's not in one of those easier times. That's not his situation in Psalm 16. He's he's facing difficulty. And in the midst of seeking refuge in God during trials, he's, he's reminding himself that God is still good. He's reminding himself that he has no good apart from you. he, he, he seems like he's affirming that truth to us, but, but to himself, I think, as well. Man, there's been times over the past year where, where trusting and resting in that has not been easy. The goodness of God, the, the, the truth of, of God's character communi- communicated in the Bible just didn't always seem to line up with my circumstances, with our circumstances as a family. Maybe you can, you can look upon your own experience and, and echo that. And so, so I had to wrestle with questions, questions like, how, how can God be good when, when a day of sweet fellowship as a family turns into an utter nightmare? I mean, how can God be good in that? No. How, how can God be good when I've seared into my mind a picture of my sister? filled with helplessness and anguish kneeling at the beside her lifeless son I mean how's God good in that I mean how can God be good when I stand right here and and preside over my two-year-old nephew's funeral I mean I, how can those questions right and again you, you can I, I'm sure you can reflect on situations from your own life and and insert your own, details and ask similar questions. How can God be good in the midst of that? When our our understanding of goodness seems to be validated by God, it's easy to say that he's good, right? It's easy to say he's good when, when what I receive from him I perceive to be good, right? And in those times, it's easy but quite often it's it's in it's in those moments where god's good gifts in our life seem to stop or 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 are taken away that that we're forced to reflect upon what do do i truly desire above all else right like do do i do i desire god above all or do i merely desire what i believe to be the good gifts that he gives right When, when i when what I receive from God doesn't feel good or doesn't make sense, do I still desire God above all else? I mean, those are those are tough questions, and that's that's a question that we probably can't answer during the easier times of life. Right when when what we are receiving feels good, we probably can't truly answer that question. But but it's one that comes to the forefront in pain and suffering. Uh, it, it's it's a question our family will grapple with again tomorrow when we when we gather minus one spunky blue-eyed 3-year-old who's not there you know when you or i face trials and we don't feel like god is good the message of scripture is that his goodness remains nonetheless it remains and in fact his goodness is amplified when he takes brokenness, when he takes suffering and redeems it and and forms it into something good and precious. And that's, there's ways we've seen that over the past year. Man, even in the midst of darkness, his goodness can shine through and does shine through in those ways. And in God's sovereignty, whether I understand it or not, and lately can feel like a lot more not, but in his sovereignty, God remains good, and and he is bringing about an end end result, which is marked by incredible goodness. I mean, we've been singing about it in these songs, that they're all looking ahead to what the, the final outcome of things is going to be, and man, there's goodness in that, and God is, in his purposes, is working toward that, He's sovereign in it. And kind of continuing on God's sovereignty, uh, look at verse 5 5 and 6 with me. David goes on. He says, He says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. It's quite the phrase he says there, the Lord is my chosen portion. All throughout the Bible, there, there's, this, there's this tension regarding God's sovereignty and mankind's free will. Um, David speaks here about choosing God as his portion, right? He's speaking of a, of a choice that he's made. And yet in Psalm 139, another psalm of David, he speaks about being knit together by God in his mother's womb, that, that, that his days were being written by God before any of them came to pass. So there's this, this paradoxical interaction taking place between God's sovereignty and mankind's free will. And, and, and David speaks about both of those things within the psalms that he's written. And that, you know, that tension between sovereignty and human choice has been a tough one to navigate over the past year because there's nothing that happened last memorial day that that was hidden from god's watchful eye or or contrary to his purposes he's sovereign in that but but along with that i I, I, i and and i know every other adult family member that day whether they were still there or had already gone home has feelings of regret. We just do. it. We know God's sovereign, but there's still the—it's still, the, still those if-onlys, right? For me, thoughts of, if only I'd seen Christian get into that pool, this wouldn't have happened. If, if only I had been more up-to-date on my CPR training, this could have turned out differently, right? If only, if only, if only. And what we read in John 11— Martha and Mary, same thing. If only, Jesus, you had been here, this, this would have happened, right? There's this, it's this tension. I, I, I hold fully to God's sovereignty, and yet I feel that if I had just done something differently, the outcome would have been different. And, and, and somehow those things are both right. <laughs> somehow, right? Somehow those two things can and do work together. God's sovereignty in our world is total. And, and it's complete, and, and nothing happens apart from his purposes. And at the same time, we, we freely make choices for ourselves, and our choices do have outcomes that are associated with them. How those two things interact together can make our heads spin, right? And, and a, for me, especially over this last year, like how, how does that work? You know, I, I can feel like if if I can just somehow make sense of that, <laughs> that's kind of arrogant to think I can, right? But if I can just somehow make sense of that whole, that, that whole reality, then I'll be able to work through what took place, right? Then I'll be able to understand it and, and, and that'll kind of be the end of it. But man, there, there, was a, um, there was a book that came out last year called Seasons of Sorrow, which uh, Megan and I wanted to read uh, together. Um, And along with that, Emma Terhune was gracious enough to read through it with us as we kind of all processed grief and loss together. Uh, It's a book by Tim Challies and and, and he recounts his experience losing his 20-year-old son who, who died suddenly and unexpectedly of a medical complication while he was at college. And, and, and this is a quote uh, from the book that, that really stood out to me. He said, A little mind like mine cannot hope to put all the pieces together, to, weave the entire, to unweave the entire tapestry or make sense of the whole. But I can have complete confidence that it is all according to the good plan of a good God, a God whose heart is always love, whose purpose is always love, whose acts are always love, whose very nature is love. And I think you hear in that, you know, he said, I've got questions and I can't, I'm not gonna have those questions answered, but I can rest in who God is. And, And I'll tell you, there's so many questions I have forgot about that day a year ago. Lots of questions. But I'm becoming more and more resigned To the reality that those questions will probably not be met with answers in this life. They just probably won't be. But God's goodness that we already talked about combines perfectly with his love and sovereignty to assure me that, that even though I don't understand it all, that he's chosen to work through this and that I ought to choose him as my portion, like David's talking about here. My portion is not what happens to me in life. God himself is my portion, if I will draw near to him. And there's a big difference between those two things. Portion's not what happens to me, it's God himself. So, so what I need... What I need isn't to solve the conundrum between sovereignty and free will. What I need isn't to have everything all figured out about that day last year. What I need is God himself. And then the question is, will I choose him as my portion? And so as David continues in this psalm, Speaking, trusting in God's goodness, choosing to draw near to God, he, he finds God providing for him. Look in verse 7. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So, you know, a, a year ago today, the day before Memorial Day, I, I was not experienced in walking through personal tragedy. Um, I didn't know how to shepherd my wife through personal tragedy. I didn't know how to shepherd my children through personal tragedy. I just simply hadn't had to do that previously, not in, not in this kind of way. And i not done it perfectly by any means, but I can stand here and I can testify to David's statement that God gives counsel God provides in that He that He is the foundation, which cannot be shaken. Right. The, when walking the path of trials, the, 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 there's all of these side paths that lead all of these different directions. There's there's the path of bitterness. that Goes off that way. There's the path of path of shame. The path of regret. Path of anxiety. The path of despair. I mean, there's there's all these paths that. That reveal themselves to us. But when confronted with those options, God has proven faithful to provide the counsel needed to, to keep walking alongside Him rather than go those other other paths. And and that counsel has come in in, in many different ways. It's come through his presence with me. Um, that counsel has has come through his word. Counsel has come through many of you as, as you've walked this path with us. Yeah. I, think about, I think about Proverbs chapter 3. You know, Solomon reminds us there that it's not our own counsel, it's not our own understanding which, which leads us on the straight paths. It's that of God. God leads us on that path. When trusting in God's counsel, the path will be straight. Now, can't hear easy. Doesn't say the path will be easy. That's, that's not promised to us. The, the straight path may not always lead us where we want to go, but it will lead us. It will lead me where God has for me to go, and where God has for me to go is where I want to be, because that's the place where He is with me, and where I cannot be shaken. That's that's His promise on the path. Not that it's calm and gentle, and that there's never any sharp curves or steep climbs or anything like that, but that He's there with us. That's the promise of the straight path. That He's present, walking walking alongside of us. And I'll tell you that 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 path, that journey, this last year has been. Been the toughest so far. I mean, there's just no way around that. It's been the toughest that that path has been, but it's one in which God has proven, God has proven Himself faithful to provide that counsel, like David says, to 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 walk with me, walk with us in that. And, And again, I you can think back to your own life, and I think you, so many of us in here, would would proclaim that same thing as we've followed God listened to his counsel and walked with him, that he has led us on that path. Well, David ends Psalm 16 by speaking about, really, the incredible promises of God, promises regarding life and joy and pleasure. And so, so look with me at verse 9. He says, and again, it's that word, therefore, right? Like, in, in, in light of everything that, that he's spoken already in this psalm, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. So I've shared with you... Some of my experience from this past year. Jacob's going to come up now, and he's going to share from his experience, really share about how he's seen God carry out those promises, uphold those promises in his experience.
1: Good morning. Let me let me pray before I, I begin. Lord, thank you for your promises. And I pray that you would just be in um, all of our lives here, Lord, in, in ways that we um, maybe haven't experienced yet, just uh, through understanding of how we go through suffering. I pray that you would just meet us and, and show yourself true as you uh, promised to. You are faithful. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, um, up, up here is not the most comfortable place uh, for me. Um, in my own preparation for today and, and even just being an elder the last year in announcements, I've, I've determined that I'm in the right profession where I don't have to publicly speak very often. Um, and I'd probably feel more comfortable um, diffusing a gunfight often than being here. But... Here's where God's called me, so um, here I am today. Uh, It definitely makes you think often of how much effort and um, how much time pastors put into their preparation for a sermon to bring God's word to a body of believers. And I'm thankful for for Aaron and and Tim and their uh, dedication to that. I've greatly um, just enjoyed, even through tears, preparing um, what I'm here to say. Um, I've I've watched uh, God bring this message together, and and it's been humbling. And I I hope that uh, overall the the pain that we've gone through and that many of you have experienced, and and, uh, we have different ones we could go and and list many here, that it leads you ultimately to a similar point of just trusting in God and the enrichment that we can have collectively in that. God uniquely has challenged and uh, grown us through this hard time uh, in our lives. Uh, It resonates, again, with many of you. This body specifically, I know, um, just supported us so immensely well and and has over the past uh, done the same for others. I thank each of you for your part in the days, weeks, months, uh, and soon to be a year since we lost Christian. I start by saying that God has truly made our joy complete. We still face times of grief, but that doesn't return us to the place apart from the joys of God. The song that you listened to by Toby Mack, called Faithfully, has resonated with me personally in so many ways over the last year. And God is still faithful when I struggle now. If you had not heard it before, um, he wrote it after losing his son in 2019. The Sunday after we lost Christian last year has been one that I have cherished in my heart. I watched as each of you mourned with us. We hugged, we cried, and sat together longing to get answers from God and wondering why God did not give us a miracle. We've wondered that before. Why was the question that was just burning inside of me? It is in asking why that God met me last year, and I feel it appropriate to share the story with you all. This is the story of me wrestling with God in the days that immediately followed our two-and-a-half-year-old son Christian's death last Memorial Day. As Sam and I lay in bed the morning after our first night home, after multiple nights in the hospital, which seemed to pass like a blur, but at the same time seemed to take an eternity, we both stared at the doorway entering our bedroom and longed to hear the pitter-patter of feet. We knew were Christians, and I had this ghost-like image of Christian running around the corner to tell us that we needed to change his diaper or just wake us up with that adorable pacifier-filled smile. I kept thinking, this must be a nightmare to wake up from. It was in that moment that I felt felt God say, we need to talk, something I'd been dreading since the words of Job 2 rang in my ear repeatedly on my drive from Washington to Bloomington that Memorial Day. The words of Jobar, responding to his wife, Am I to accept only good from the Lord and not evil? I had felt God's loving presence and comfort through the whole process with Christian, but had complete silence from God. Even as I agonized, we worshiped through song around Christian, and pled with God to bring Christian back to life while his heart still beat. And all this while over a thousand saints joined us in prayer for that very miracle. I had felt the conversation was completely one way until that morning when God said, we need to talk. I told God, I don't want to talk. I said, your inaction has demonstrated more than any words you can explain to me. I was pretty angry. After all, I wanted the miracle not only for myself, but for his glory. And thousands of people of faith could have been strengthened. And even people could have come to know him for the first time through that miracle, right? After I argued a few minutes, I ended up leaving Sam in bed and going to the back porch. Once there, I sat. I prayed that God would explain the reason why. I started. I stared at my Bible in front of me, but the zipper seemed stuck. And as I looked at it, I felt defeated and stated, I can't read it. I know what it's going to say. I prayed for my remaining family and looked at the beautiful sunrise and just continued to lay my broken heart out before my Creator. No response. You asked me to come here and to speak to you. God answered then, in the voice that many of us know, Not here. I want to meet you at the pool. Um, I'll admit my first reactions to God saying that were adverse. Um, I finally, when I could collect myself, responded with, There's no way I can go to the pool after you just stole my son from there. But God persisted, and I told God, If you'll meet me there, I'll go. I felt the peace that God promises and responded, and he responded with, I will. I returned inside to tell Sam what I had to do. Then called our relatives to ask them if I could come over, which I'm sure they were shocked by. I got to the pool and the tears that I thought I had ran out of over the past few days flowed again. I thought of such a beautiful scene of fun bringing such tragedy into my life. Our life. I started to swim. I swam back and forth. I stopped to tell God audibly, I'm here. You said you would speak to me. No response. I swam some more. I stop. I go underwater and yell as loud as I can. Why? I do this repetitively. I continue to swim and continue to argue and yell at God, laying it all down in front of him. Every thought, every doubt, and even finally stopping, I stood up, I told God, like a defiant three-year-old, I don't believe in you. That's right. I can stop believing in you anytime I want to. And I choose to no longer have faith in you. God's first response while in the pool. A loving, almost chuckle. It seemed it seemed to me Jacob, you can't do that. You know me, and I know you. I wrestle with that for a few seconds and go back to swimming without responding. It was angry, ungraceful, slapping the water type of swimming, if I can even call my normal swimming graceful. I was angry. I couldn't I couldn't do anything but take my anger out on the the water that was all surrounding me. Finally, I stopped and dropped to my knees in the, the shallow end with my head just above the water, feeling absolutely defeated. I confessed to God. I said, you're correct. I can't reject you. I am convinced of nothing short of Jesus being the Son of God and my Savior. And I surrendered my anger. I said, okay. I I can't maintain this any longer. You know me and I know you to be true and good and just. But if I know you and have faithfully, albeit clearly with much struggle, served you best I can, and with your help often above my own expectations, why can't you explain the reason why Christian had to die versus you saving him? Do you not owe me that? Again, like a child, I begin to barter with God. I won't even tell Sam or anyone else for the rest of my life that you told me. Just tell me why. Silence again. Back to swimming. (laughs) This time more peacefully. Back and forth I go until I got tired. Okay, if you won't answer me why, then please give me one word. I believe I deserve one single word from you to explain this situation. Immediately without a pause, I'm not even convinced if it wasn't audibly, the response was trust. And I was back to defiance instantaneously. (laughs) Um, Not the correct word. Take that one back. That's the reason I didn't open my Bible that morning. And I was back to I meant something clearer, God. But God again persisted and gave me trust, trust every time I surfaced between swimming. I got out of the pool, and I watched the water settle, and I said, okay, God, I will continue to trust and will remain faithful in how I mourn, in how I help others mourn, and how I serve you. And like Aaron, I had a video to watch where I took a video of myself that would not be good to show here, the raw emotions. Um, But I I rewatched it this week and again explaining what I'm telling you today, that, that God took that anger and said I needed to be faithful in how I mourn, faithful in how I help others mourn, and faithful in how I continue to serve God. In that time in the pool, God also reassured me that he cares more for my son Christian than I ever could have and that I will see him again assuring me that he had taken Christian in his arms from the very water I had been swimming in. I responded to God before leaving the pool that I want, what I want to remind us of today, I will be better for this, and all who come into contact with me will see Christ at work in me for the better, and they will see joy. I entered the pool broken, defeated, angry, and looked for a reason uh, looking for a reason, a rash region even, to abandon this faith. But I left the pool confident that, God, that the God who spoke to me and told me to trust will fi- faithfully meet the needs of myself and my family and all those who are hurting with us. I'd love to tell you that it all becomes perfect after that. But we know it is still a challenge and God isn't even close to done working in us. But after a few months of continuing the process with God, I got back into his word. And it was with renewed vigor vigor in passion for Christ that any of us get through pain similar to what I now understand and what we understand. Once back in God's word, he led me to um, two different passages that I feel appropriate to share with you. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, or produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I've often thought, what is pure joy? And what I believe we come up with is pure joy is found in God, and only in God, and only given by God. The world pursues it and misses the mark constantly. It is the perseverance of Christ-following life that brings to the end of our lives with joy. I can look to the future without part of my family because all of my heart was given to God as is despite circumstances when I first believed. I'm heartbroken but never defeated in Christ. And I am most definitely not the same man I once was, as Toby Mack so nicely put it. I stand before you as a vastly different man, because of the pain and sorrow along with, my, along with my family, and many of you endured. But I am more convinced today of the hope of the future. That is why, as the NIV translated it in James, my joy can be pure joy. And it leads me towards completeness no matter what trial may come. This joy removes the doubt that tries to grab a hold of me. This joy is complete in the faith that we share, and under Christ I will move forward renewed and not allow for Christian's death to have been without the extreme benefit of life change in me. Christ followers do not mourn as the world mourns, because we have our joy bound to heaven and not here on earth. Because of Christ, and the joy he offers us, no person or relationship on earth, maintains all our hope and joy apart from the person of Jesus, who thankfully defeated death once for all. Lastly, I'd like to discuss uh, just a perspective I have for the, the story of Lazarus. Um, clearly, it's a very well-known story. We have songs that are sung about it. We know in the earlier verses before what uh, Pastor Tim read that um, Jesus stayed and let Mary Martha and all those mourning with them with her, uh, suffer in question for n- numerous days why Jesus hadn't come to them. Jesus even says to his disciples, "Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe." I feel so much pain for Martha and Mary, knowing now what I know about those four days for them. They knew Jesus. They had seen him heal people. In, uh, in John 11, 21 through 27, uh, Martha interacts with Jesus. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God... God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last days. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. She's clearly hopeful still for, for the miracle, but she professes her belief apart from having that miracle with Lazarus. And they both, both her and then Mary, later in this same passage as, we, as Tim, Pastor Tim read, asked the question of why weren't you here? You could have saved him. It seems similar to, to my question. I believe that Jesus could have saved Christian and anyone else we've lost as well. So Jesus' response to Martha is to turn her to the gospel, to himself. And Martha confesses him as the Christ. I pose Jesus' question to myself and and also to you. Do we believe this? And if we do, do we let it change our reactions to hardship? even without a miracle. I am convinced, like Martha knew, that I will see Christian again in the future, along with others who have faithfully gone before us. I contend also that Martha displayed her faith here in a way that would have continued to follow Jesus even if he had not raised Lazarus from the grave. The application for me was, I, I continue just to be convinced of this in light of Scripture, and now my experience also, that we can know the pain of Mary and Martha during those days, following Lazarus' death. We know the call of James to be true in considering it pure joy, God's joy, no matter what trials we face. And we must never be the same as a result of that knowledge. No matter the struggle our God calls us to trust Him, to give us this pure joy. We must trust even without the miracle we prayed for. We endure hardship differently, and we have an untapped reservoir of joy available to us. Jesus is not surprised by pain and suffering on earth, and it was not God's intention at creation. However, now that it's here, He has used it to change us and turn hearts to Him, Don't let any loss we face on earth turn your heart from the only opportunity for pure joy and take every opportunity now to be different and to point others to the confidence that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what this hard life on earth is all about. How can we, my my family, how can we help but to be changed and still joyful people despite our circumstances when our hope is tied up in eternity with God and not here on earth. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you can handle any complaint we have for you and that you respond to us, like Jesus said later, that he knows you hear him. I thank you for responding to us as a family, responding to our church body here through any griefs we have faced. I thank you for being big enough that we can put all of our hope and confidence in you, that we know you to be true and good. May you walk with us, may you lead us and may we follow you through this life to eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.